Happy Tuesday, everyone, and thank you, as always, for listening. We have a great episode today with Andrew Dudum, the founder and CEO of Hymns and Hers. Uh, we had a great conversation over at the Hymns offices in San Francisco. I, in the meantime, I've got about 30 more seconds to fill, and I'm going to be just shamelessly promoting, as always. Follow me on Twitter at Billy underscore Draper. Uh, I release video content now from the episodes, so you'll get to see expressions on our faces, little snippets, uh, fun little snippets, I might even say, really fun, I might even say. Sometimes I tweet, uh, sometimes I write things down that are in short form, and I send them out on the Twitter machine. Uh, so it's worth, I'm a worthwhile follow, I think, at this point, at Billy underscore Draper. We incubated it. We put $50,000 of tests towards it uh, over a weekend. Uh, the original test name was called Club Room. You know, I was at the gym and I was looking at some of the deodorants they had on the shelves and one of them was called Club Room. And I'm like, oh, we can try that. So we tested it that weekend. Um, and with that 50,000 in budget, we did a million in sales in like five or six weeks. Wow. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Andrew Dudum, founder and CEO of Hims and Hers. He teaches us about the massive opportunity to improve the healthcare system. So today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. We have Andrew Dudum from Hims and Hers. Andrew, first of all, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I like to start out every episode talking about just simply what is Hims and Hers. Yeah, so Hims and Hers is um, essentially a consumer brand that makes getting access to healthcare incredibly easy. So all of the difficulty of scheduling an appointment, the uncomfortable conversation about talking about hair loss or birth control or acne when you're in your 30s or 40s when it should have been gone by now. All of that simplified into something you can pick up with your phone, get connected with a physician within minutes, um, pay really quickly, have it delivered to your door two days later, and and in an experience that's beautiful and one that you love, that you respect, um, one that's really transparent in pricing. And, and so it's really just this consumer brand that is really taking the healthcare system and simplifying it down for, for normal people to get access to things that normal people need. And how, what brought you into the healthcare business? You know, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time <clears throat> and I've always been really excited about building something in healthcare for a number of reasons. Um, you know, first it's so large, right? As an entrepreneur, you're looking at industries that are, that are big because you want to have big impact. And you know, there's things like retail, there's things like commerce, there's things like transportation, there's things like real estate, and then there's things like healthcare. And healthcare is one of the few, <clears throat> you know, multi-trillion dollar industries that have not really been touched by technology in the last 10 and 20 years. And so as a, as a you know, business student dropout, that's really intriguing to me, right? This huge opportunity to make a huge impact in a manner that can make customers' lives so much better and, and really hasn't been evolved since maybe 50 or 60 years ago. So I think, you know, kind of from a, a business standpoint, it was really exciting to me. 
from a human standpoint, I think it was even more exciting, right? It's it's something that <clears throat> all of us um, are are statistically worried about the same types of things. We're all normal, which means we're all scared when we look in the mirror. We're all upset about the same types of things. We all struggle with the same types of things. And as a consumer, when I go to the hospital and I, when I go to the doctors, it's not an experience that encourages me to be well, right? It's not one that tons of endorphins are rushing and I'm having fun and, and I want to come back to, right? It's one where you leave and you feel you feel kind of sick, right? And the touch points are cold, they're sterile, um, they're quick, they're expensive. Um, there's really any sense of emotionality has been ripped from that system. And unfortunately, um, you know, the incentive structures in the health system are, are, are strong, but very few of them are actually catered towards incenting people to have great um, care for people, right? right. It's, it's not really customers at the end of the incentive structures. And so for that reason, it's not a great experience. And so as a person, as just like a, a normal, as a normal guy, being able to build a system that my friends, my family, my partner, my, you know, all my loved ones could use, have access to, that made them feel great, that helped encourage them to be well, that helped get them access to things that they otherwise wouldn't have access to, um, is just a really compelling and impactful vision that got me excited. And what, I mean, what specifically brought you to him? So you were working on Atomic. That's right. And you guys would start companies. And then what drove you to say, hey, I'm going to hang him up at Atomic, or do you still work with Atomic? Yeah, so I'm so, uh, still a GP at Atomic. Um, Explain what Atomic is, I yeah, guess, first. Yeah, sure. So Atomic um, is a venture studio in the Presidio in San Francisco. Uh, we, We're a horrible office it's location. It's a terrible place. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really brutal. Uh, you look over the Golden Gate Bridge and the Palace Fine Arts, it's, um, it's a tough place to work. And so we've been, we've been building that company which is essentially a company that builds companies since around 2013. Um, and I've got a great set of, of founders and partners over at Atomic. We, we raise you know, multi-hundred million dollar funds every couple of years. Uh, most of those funds were, were anchored and continue to be anchored by some of you know, our favorite people and some of the best investors in the Valley, like Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen and, and uh, many of those types of LPs. And the thesis is if you can bring together the best investors and bring together the best operators and put them in the same room and say, hey, we're going to build things together. You get that benefit of the pattern recognition that investors have and the pattern recognition that repeat operators have. And when combined in force, you know, you're not having a one in 10 hit rate as a traditional venture capitalist. Right. You're having a six or seven out of 10 hit rate um, as a joint effort. And so we've been doing that for about eight years now. Uh, we've prototyped, you know, well over 100, 200 companies um, and have actually only brought to market about 15 of them. So a really strong filtering process um, and, you know, have raised six, seven hundred million across those companies. A few of them will go public in the next three and four years. And it's been just a really fun entrepreneurial environment. Um, and so I figured I would do that forever, to be totally honest. I was like, this is perfect. You know, we're getting paid to build really impactful companies and we're getting better at it. Um, but, you know, this idea for hims and hers was just kind of there and lingering. And, you know, it was such a big opportunity, um, given the size of the market and the impact it could have to people that it, it just really pulled me, you know, it pulled me out. Right. right. I, didn't, I didn't really have a choice. I was like, right. I have to go do this. And so we started it at Atomic. We incubated it. We put $50,000 of tests towards it okay. uh, over a weekend. Uh, the original test name was called Club Room. 
you know, I was at the gym and I was looking at some of the deodorants they had on the shelves and one of them was called Club Room. And I'm like, oh, we could try that. So we tested it that weekend. Um, and with that 50,000 in budget, we did a million in sales in like five or six weeks. Wow. And um, we shut down the test. We said, hey, this thing is bigger what, than What we were thought. your products at first? Um, we were focusing on mostly dermatology related stuff. So okay. skin, hair in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and it was just this, this very clear outlier opportunity um, where, you know, if you give a guy or if you give a woman the opportunity to get care from their right. phone in a really transparent manner and in an affordable manner, and it's just, it's that easy. You're sitting on your couch and you're answering questions and you pick up your phone and you talk to a doctor for five minutes and then boom, you got what you need and you're educated. People were coming out of the woodwork for it. Um, and it was and it was immediate, like very early. And how quickly did you put your hand up saying like, I'd like to take this one? Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that, that uh, within days, right? It was like, this was, this was the thing that I was just really passionate about. And what was happening with the patents that allowed for these companies to get started? What was happening with the, um, what, what, was it the Viagra patent yeah. or the Rogaine patent? Or what allowed for, it's similar to what happened with Invisalign a few years prior with um, Smile Direct and and uh, uh, Candid and those kinds of companies, what what happened in the healthcare industry that allowed for you to take on some of these generic medications? Yeah, that's a great question. So, as a as an entrepreneur, I'm always looking for structural changes that make this business uh, uniquely possible right now. And there's no way you could have built Hims and Hers three years ago or four years ago or five years ago. Right. It really is in the last couple of years that it's been possible. And there's two reasons. One is, is actually from a regulatory standpoint. So up until just a couple of years ago, it was not legal to actually interact with a physician digitally. That was my um, next question. Right. Good. I'm glad you're knocking Perfect. them both. Yeah. Uh, we'll knock them out one by one. Right. So you know, this concept of telemedicine, of asynchronous telemedicine, of texting your doctor, emailing your doctor photos, you know, of maybe acne, and then them evaluating those photos and giving you a prescription was completely prohibitive. Um, and so the medical boards state by state in the last few years have actually turned over those laws. And players like Teladoc, which is trading right. at $7 billion plus in the public markets and doing a great job, have been really instrumental in pushing the boundaries of telemedicine. Um, and, the, and the legal system has changed. And so now all of a sudden... I could be sitting at my couch, <clears throat> get connected with a doctor within a minute, talk to them over the phone, send them a couple texts, send them some photos, and then boom, we're good to go. And, and we have a, a, a consultation that can take place. So that was huge because it really enabled, you know, ease and efficiency and access. And in healthcare, you know, access, because it's truly hard to even get to a doctor is a real problem. And, and in, our, in our business with hims and hers, you know, there are populations of the country that are two or three hours away from a doctor. Right. Um, there's these huge kind of deserts, these health deserts. And so, you know, for women, for example, we sell birth control on, our, on, on the HERS platform. It's one of the biggest sellers on HERS. And there's women who are hours away from a Planned Parenthood who could never get access to this that use our platform to get it. And so it's a huge deal to be able to use you know, the internet and your mobile device and your computer to connect you. And, that, and that's brand new. Um, now, the other thing that you highlighted is, is also new, which is essentially the ability to take these drugs that people know, <clears throat> drugs like um, Propecia for hair loss right. or Viagra for, for sexual wellness, and they finally are now off patent. 
which means uh, we can bring those to market for two bucks. When did that happen? Those all happened in, I believe, around 2017. Okay. Um, and Propecia was, you know, many years before that. Um, but they, there's kind of this rolling um, nature to, to patent expirations where, for example, Truvada, it's an um, anti-HIV uh, like prevention medication okay. for, for men. It's incredibly effective at prevent, preventing HIV. It's $1,600 per month right wow. now. And that goes off patent next year. Okay. Right. And so the ability to bring that to market at a $10, $20 price point uh, is possible. And so with that patent expiration, um, Hims and Hers can now offer some of these products for $30 or $20. And in most situations, we're offering those products cheaper than a patient would pay for their copay at a doctor's office. So it's just incredibly affordable. Right. It's cr incredibly transparent. And not um, covered by insurance, <clears throat> but affordable out of pocket. That's right. It's all out of pocket. It's cash, but it's actually cheaper in most situations than people even using their insurance, which is a whole other conversation that's insane. But you've got 80% of the country on a very high deductible insurance plan where they're paying $50, $60 to even go see a doctor. Right. And, and we can cover all of that cost in our digital platform built in. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, those two things, the regulatory laws changing and then these patents expiring have just made it so much more possible for this business to exist. And how quickly did you decide, hey, the move here is to destigmatize the space altogether? Your beachhead products early on were ED medication, balding medication, things that people typically don't have a stigma or guys don't want to talk about or... Um, people have trouble sort of uh, sharing that they use these things. Yeah. So how quickly did you decide, let's turn this on its head, let's get billboards, let's let's get it out there, and let's build a product that people want to share? Yeah, it, it was pretty early on, probably a year before we even launched, um, where we, we raised some early seed capital from uh, Josh Kushner over at Thrive Capital mm -hmm. in New York and Kirsten Green at Forerunner in San Francisco. And the two of them, in, in my mind, are some of the best consumer brand investors in the world. They're just, they're incredible. And and you think of companies like Glossier and Jet and Away and Bonobos and Casper. Like they've, they've been a part of all of these, Harry's, Warby Parker, et cetera. Um, and so we got that team in early and we debated the brand. We had... Right dozens of different brand options. We had dozens of different names. What else, do, um, any, can you share any of the other names? Yeah, so we, you know, at one point we were really excited about Admiral. Oh, that's uh, a good name. Which is, yeah, it seemed yeah. like a good name. It was like a little bit, um, it was a little bit too militaristic, I think, yeah, for me, uh, a little yeah, too tough, yeah, sure. right? Like, um, you know, at one point somebody was really excited about McCoy. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought that could be a fun name. Build a character yeah, around Yeah, build that. like a personality around McCoy. Mm -hmm. But we actually felt like it was too much of a certain personality type. Okay. Um, you could kind of visualize a McCoy brand and it yeah. was like a certain type of brand. And I think what we really wanted to do was, was build something that no matter who you were felt completely welcomed in the brand. And so it, it seems simple, but, you know, hims and hers is pretty much as um, as broad as you can go. Um, and so that was really intentional, but there was this, this conversation around, um, you know, normalizing these issues that was really critical to, in my mind, 
the, the spirit of the brand. And it was reflective, I think, when we were fa- raising money. It was really funny. I'd be sitting at the, you know a table with a whole bunch of, of VCs, and I'd start talking, and everyone was dead quiet, right? Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here talking about hair loss and ED, right. and nobody wants to talk about that stuff. Yeah, let's talk ED um, Yeah, for let's a talk, Let's talk about ED, right. um, of which like the average man in that room had like a 50% chance of having ED. And so- Shuffle, shuffle, yeah, paper shuffle. Yeah. yeah, so what I would start doing was, I was saying, well, you know, raise your hand if you're like older than, I don't know, 30. Everyone would raise their hand. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, you know, one of each of you has ED, like right now, right who, this who second. Who is it? Who is yeah, it, right? Yeah. And, and everyone would like look really uncomfortable and then I would like crack a joke and they'd lighten up. And then all of a sudden we'd have normal conversations. And so one of the things I realized early was when you're talking about things like acne or hair loss or STDs or even things like birth control sometimes, there's stigma associated with them, which precludes people from having conversations about them. And so as soon as you can crack some ice and like make some light of it, all of a sudden it goes from, oh, that's really funny to... So how does it work and where do I get it? Yeah. Right. The conversation actually becomes very solution oriented about solving the issue, but you have to first start with, you know, some type of humor. And so we leaned really far into that. Like you don't see any ads from hims and hers that are, you know, talking about how discreet this is or how, you know, there's no name on the packaging or anything like that. It's, it's all about, Hey, this is normal. You, you're on a subway train, half the dudes on the subway train are just as worried about it as you. You know, you're a woman worried about acne and right. you're in your 30s, 40% of women are also worried about acne, right? You're worried about hair loss and you're in your 40s as a man, half of men are also worried about it. Same statistics on the women's side, right? Also not something people talk about. And so we just really leaned into that and said, hey, if we can, in, in a lot of ways, like catalyze conversations, we will succeed, right? If we can build a brand that starts conversations and encourages people to talk about it, Yeah, that's the first step to us being very successful and us helping a lot of people because people will then feel empowered to share what they've learned with others. And who came up with the cactus? Um, <laughs> I came up with the cactus um, with my co-founder, Hillary. We were doing our first photo shoot in New York um, with, with a great, great creative team over there. And we were walking around and there was actually a cactus store on the, on the, like a bodega. Yeah. Um, and so there were some pretty hilarious cactuses. It was very, um, fluid in our creativity. We brought them upstairs to the photo shoot. We took some photos and we're like, this is, this is incredible. Like right. we're going to lean into this. And then, you know, 90 days later, there were hundred foot, 50 story phallic cactuses on the side of, you know, Times Square. Yeah. Have you, um, <clears throat> yeah, just for listeners, there are ads for hymns or her, uh, for hymns, I guess, specifically, that just have a cactus and they say hymns, right? They don't, some of them might have some more information, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then the then the the customer gets to sort of figure out the rest and they're all sorts of different shapes and sizes of cactus. Yeah. And they were, a, I remember when that hit, that was one of these great um, unconventional marketing campaigns that really people would talk about. Like, oh, I saw them at the urinal. Yeah. Oh, I saw them, you know, you guys were very clever about where you placed those and sort of how you presented them. Have you... Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to get into that sort of leads to this is, so you founded Hims in 2016, and then in 2017, all of a sudden you had two big competitors, right? Um, Keeps and Roman, now Roe. 
how do you deal how did you deal with competition how do you how do you think about competition and yeah. what do you do to sort of ward off competition yeah <clears throat> you know the beautiful thing about healthcare is competition just means more people are getting care right right if you really think about it and so i think generally when you talk to people in our company we don't really see a lot of these these other companies as true competition because at the end of the day the more people that are educated about options the more people that are aware that they can pick up their phone go on their computer get access to a doctor the better and that's really what is the barrier today is a lack of education that this is possible right everybody knows healthcare as scheduling an appointment it might be your mom or your sister or somebody helping you do that or taking you um waiting three weeks, going to a doctor's appointment, going to a pharmacy, et cetera. Like that's what they know as a system. And so anybody who's helping educate this new system from our standpoint and from my standpoint is, is doing a lot of good work for the market. Um, now that said, there's gotta be differences between your companies. And so for, for me, the way I think about hims and hers is we are really building a brand that people love across dozens of different conditions. Um, and, and that's a very intentional strategy from us that we want to be trusted in the household between the husband and wife, between the kids, between the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents to be able to help with a lot of different things. And so you see that right now there's, you know, nearly a hundred products on the hymns and hers platform in 2020, there's an additional 50 or 60 going live. Um, and it crosses everything from sleep, to immunity, heart health, uh, dermatology, melasma, psoriasis, acne, hair loss, birth control, STDs, herpes. I mean, it's like all over the place, but it's reflective of what people really are worried about. Um, and so I think as a brand, it's actually a really, it's a hard thing to do, right? Being an expert at one thing is much easier to do when you're building a company. And I think a lot of other companies in the space have done this. And, and I even think companies like Casper are a really good example of ones that have done this <clears throat> where they really focus on doing something exceptionally well. When we started this company, we said doing something exceptionally well, just one thing isn't good enough for hims and hers. The opportunity here is too big. It's, it's an opportunity to help a lot of different types of people with a lot of different types of things. And so down to our core, we are an engine of testing new categories, testing new products, bringing them to market, using you know nearly a decade of Atomics experience and research of, right. of how you test and bring the thing, bring things to market, and building that muscle within hims and hers. And I think that's what um, you know when you look at the business today, it's growing exceptionally fast, and it's exceptionally fast across a lot of different categories, a lot of different customers buying a lot of different things, and that diversity will continue to expand in the next few years. And I think it will be the thing that makes this an incredible public market story and an incredible public market company where you've got incredible diversity across a lot of different touch points of customers. Um, and each of those independently is a really good business uh, alone. And do you, on the downside of competition, I agree, I think it's good. Uh, it's not only not only that they're helping people, but also they're making the world more aware mm. of the thing that you do. That's right. And But on the downside is, your, you know, when you got started, your cost of acquisition was super, you took $50,000, turned it into a million. A year later, crowded space, the AdWords get more expensive, the ad buys on Facebook get more expensive. It forces you to sharpen your game in terms and maybe that's you know the billboards and the cactuses and the you know thing good things come from that but on the it does make it more expensive to let people know about what you do um generally yes um 
for one of the things I've noticed <clears throat> is that for the best companies, acquisition costs actually go down as they scale. This is like fairly counterintuitive, right? Right. More people in the market, more people pounding money into Facebook and right. Instagram and all these channels. You'd think it all goes up. And for the most part, it does. For companies that figure out a way to leverage the brand right. and the trust in the brand and the love of the brand and the message and have that really resonate with people at a human level, for those best companies, when you start spending more money, you actually hit an inflection point where there's an organic aspect that right. is unique. And there's a word of mouth aspect that's unique. So um, a huge percentage of our traffic at Hims and Hers is actually completely word of mouth. It's people coming to uh, us because their sister brought it up or because their best friend in the fraternity house is using it and right. they saw it in the shower um, or because somebody posted on Instagram about how they've solved their you know acne at the age of 25 and they want their friends to know about it. Um, right. And, and in particular with our brand, we, we really focus on that younger demographic, people in their 20s and 30s that are renting, that don't have a ton of savings in the bank mm -hmm. account, that are trying to find you know, their partner in life, that are trying to build their career. And then on top of that, they're worried about, well, shit, I'm worried about hair loss. And like, right. it's like scary. And we want to be your person right at that time. And, and so because we, we help this younger demographic, that demographic likes to talk and they like to share their learnings. And so um, we've actually seen a, a huge amount of traffic and increasing proportion of it coming in through those types of channels. And yeah. so even though competitors are coming to market, our acquisition costs um, you know, aren't going up. They, they've wow. in fact have come down, right? Yeah. Even though you're scaling much bigger. Um, I think for the few brands that can unlock that type of customer right. behavior, it's it's a, a different type of ball game that occurs, and I think we've spent a lot of time trying to focus on on that. And you mentioned a lot of your thesis around healthcare. How much of your thesis was, hey, also people uh, Viagra and the likes are advertising to people 55 and older, and nobody's touching this 30 yeah. to 50 window. W were you thinking about that too? Did you come across some statistic where you were like, oh, younger people have these problems also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is in five years from now, Harvard's going to do a case study on how Pfizer and Merck messed up the go-to-market strategy. Right. Right. Viagra, when you think of Viagra, is 65-year-old men, Caucasian, white linen pants on the beach. And what's the ad channel for that? It's like TV. TV. Right. <clears throat> Mostly TV, uh, print, things yeah. of that sort. But but you think of Viagra as a product for that customer. Um, and I think what was really missed was, um, you know, statistically speaking, it's for pretty much anybody over 30, right? By the age of 30, 30% of men are suffering from sexual health issues. At the age of 40, 40% of men are. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be white or black or anything. It's, it's all men, no matter what. But the, the pharmaceutical companies were pricing this drug so expensive. I mean, it was $65 per pill. And on average, patients get 10 pills a month. So you're talking about $600 out of pocket for these people that the only demographic that could ever pay for it was 65-year-old uh, right. men, usually Caucasian, married. Like That was the demographic that could afford it. The problem with that strategy is there are tens of millions of men outside of that demographic that would 
hugely benefit from that product. And so, uh, you know, I think I think a lot of these brands, um, you know, a decade ago and 20 years before, weren't really thinking about the opportunity to help the masses and how to get volume and how to communicate with them in different ways. They were doing the more traditional consumer packaged goods thinking of let's find our audience and then let's go target them. Um, and so I think it is a really big marketing difference that that's caused uh, you know a huge conversation that never existed. Um, and when you look at the medicine and the, and the science, you know, twenty five percent of men in college are losing their hair. Right. Yet nobody's talking to those guys. They're talking to you when you're fifty and you're buying Rogaine and CVS. But I can tell you, having spoken to hundreds of men at this point, when you're fifty and you're married and have kids you actually don't really care about hair loss as much as you care about it when you're 20 right. and you're in college losing your hair. Right. Like that is a really scary time. Yeah. And so I think we just, we kind of just changed a little bit of the, the approach and, and, and so far it's working and I think we're able to help a lot of people because of it. Um, I have a quick question about Atomic and then I <clears throat> just, I'm backtracking a little bit, but at a, Atomic, what do you attribute a lot of their success to? I wrote down, they've, uh, not only Hims, but Atomic also started Bungalow, Zenreach, Talk IQ, which was acquired, uh, a company called Homebound that raised money recently. All of these have at least gotten to the point of Series B sort of f- fundraise, which isn't a, a success metric, but it is sort of a little bit of a pulse on what's going on. What do you attribute a lot of that success to? The fact that these this maker studio can can actually build successful companies. Yeah, you know, I think it's a lot of things. Uh, I think first, the people at Atomic are incredible. Uh, the investors at Atomic, but between you know teams like Mark and Peter and and the rest of the LPs are are truly some of the best pattern recognition investors I've ever met and I've ever worked with. Um, the operators <clears throat> that we bring in to build these businesses with us and to co-found them with us, they've built and scaled companies before to public companies, almost all of them. And so they really are like in the weeds builders. And so when you have an unfair advantage of great talent on both sides, it pays dividends pretty quickly. Um, And so I think that's a big part of it. You know, the other thing that I think is unique to how Atomic builds companies, and it's very similar to how Hims and Hers brings products to market, excuse me, is this idea of of really testing distribution and product market fit and quantitatively and objectively saying, this is a good idea versus this one. Right. Uh, and just forcing ourselves to get data as quickly as possible for as little money as possible yeah. to be able to have better and more informed conversations. And so, um, you know, at Atomic, good ideas are validated fast. Right. Um, there is no obscurity or vagueness as to whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea for longer than a couple of weeks because we'll, we'll figure it out and yeah. we'll bring it to ground. Um, and I think there's a sense of like emotional connectedness to ideas at Atomic that is not there. Like it gets broken very quickly, meaning nobody's like, hey, this is my idea. I think this is important. And trust me. Yeah, trust me. Right. That doesn't exist. It's like, no. I don't care if it's, you know, a customer support agent's idea yeah. or a CEO of a founder 500 company's idea. We're going to put it through the same rigor and we're going to give us some results to look at. And so, you know, the ability to disconnect from ideas and just test them, you know, really, um, really changes the dynamic of a company and encourages people to learn 
and encourages people to experiment um, and removes ego from the equation, which yeah. is is often um, one of the most paralyzing things in, oh, in an yeah. early company. So I think Atomic's done that really, really well. And, and I think that's why they've seen such great success. Yeah, I think they've done. And how many people were at Atomic when you started HIMSS? Uh, you know, at the core Atomic team, there there might be 20 or 30, but across the portfolio, there's probably five or 600. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A bunch of the companies are big now. Yeah. You have a lot of them here. Yeah. I mean, Hims is 100 people. Homebound's probably 100 people. Bungalow is probably close to 200 people. Yeah. All of those, you know, in terminal, probably two or 300 people they've raised, you know, between 40 and 80 million each. And is it a fixed deal with the companies they start or is it you negotiate it when you when you say... Hey, I'm going to go take this one on. You can, you know, your 50,000 accounts for this amount and then give me the rest to go fundraise. Is there a set number for every company that Atomic gets? No, it's a pretty it's pretty flexible okay. based on the founding team and yeah. the dynamics there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty flexible how it works. It makes I mean, it makes more sense to go about it that way in a, in a lot of ways it makes more sense than you know, you have an idea, you really believe in it, you maybe have tested it a little bit, you hope it works, you have to go pitch to venture capitalists to raise money yep. on that one thing, and you have to sort of keep your fingers crossed that that's the one. So be, just the the flexibility of being able to test stuff and throw stuff against the wall, the R&D of that ends up being so valuable. Yeah. You saw, I mean, probably within a week or two, you saw this thing is different. This is something that we need to go do now. And you had, you know, and that, yeah, so more people should be testing things, yeah. even if it's with $10 a day or $30 a day, it makes a ton of sense. If you're going to ask investors for millions of dollars yeah. for your seed round, it makes a ton of sense to say, hey, we at least checked it against these few things. And when you, you have the advantage to check it against 10 other ideas, even better. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've, it, um, you know, watched from advising companies is the model and the the sequence of the steps people take to build companies to me is almost entirely backwards. I think about that a lot. Right. Yeah. And so like people are like, hey, I want to start this company. I love it. It's going to be huge. I'm like, oh, awesome. All right. What are you going to do first? So like, well, I'm going to trademark the name. Okay. And they spend like two months trademarking a name. And they're like, okay, I'm going to build the brand. I'm like, awesome. Cool. They build the brand. Then they go convince their family and friends to give them money. Right. And they raise money. Um, then they build the first prototype, an MVP, with that money, and they launch it. And they realize no one gives a shit about what they built. Yep. And it's not because it's not a good idea. It's not because it's not the potential is not there. But nearly everything you launch at you know for the first time is going to fail. Like right. It requires a huge amount of iteration. But at that point, they are now just beginning the process of starting a company, which right. is starting to learn about their customer yep. and starting to test what the customer cares about. And and so if you just do that earlier, if you say, we're not going to build this company until we have signal yeah. and we're going to test that signal across three or four or five other ideas, um, I just think it's a much, much healthier way to go about building companies. And I think, frankly, the ability to efficiently deploy capital into big companies and make major impact in the world is, is much better. Yeah. And in your example, you're starving yourself of feedback you, along right. that whole channel. You're That's saying, right. trust me, I'm going to do this. Trust me. This is the idea. Trust me. This is the idea. You don't have customer feedback until you've set up all these That's other right. pins. And I, yeah, um, I always think about companies that are in stealth mode. They're missing like a ton of feedback. Yeah. yeah. It's very important to let people know what you do so they can let you know 
if they would use it, if their friends would use it, totally. if they know companies that would use it, if there are other companies doing it, whatever. So I think about that a lot. It is a little bit backwards. Yeah. What uh, I heard that you're doing, you're putting up your first brick and mortar location in Columbus. We are opening up a large pharmacy fulfillment center in Columbus, Ohio. How'd you decide on Columbus? Um, it's a great place. There's a lot of good yeah. things in Columbus. Uh, it is um, a city and a county that has more pharmacy schools than any other place in the country, um, which is not a known fact that, that no. is very common. But we are building a very large pharmacy fulfillment center. It's going to be 400,000 square feet. This thing is huge, where we'll be able to, to distribute and disperse um, medications for dozens and dozens of different medical conditions. So if you think about the Hims and Hers platform today, we have you know, maybe 100 products. Um, we want to be able to offer you five, six, seven hundred offerings right yeah. across every reason you'd want to want to talk to a doctor and so in doing so we really need to rebuild that healthcare system yeah that, that part of the the supply chain of getting medication verifying that it's safe for you packaging it fulfilling it compounding it whatever it might be right uh, and so we decided to build it there surrounded by uh, some of the best talent in the country in in that city and it, uh, you'll also take walk-ins. It's also a walk-in pharmacy, we, or is it just a... In the beginning, it'll just be on the fulfillment okay. pharmacy Got side, it. but uh, that is definitely something we're starting to think about. Great. Um, okay, so from the so two years, three years, four years, you have a you know unicorn billion-dollar valuation. You're growing like crazy. You started at the outset. You came out of the gates really fast. What's not working? What do you feel like... Um, what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the concerns you have? From the outside, it looks like this thing's working perfectly. Nobody <laughs> touch it. Has it been that way or has it been like, oh, that didn't quite work or that didn't quite work? Yeah. You know, um, I, I do not believe in overnight successes at all. Right. Like I, and I think when you're inside the weeds and you're watching how the sausage is made, you know, that beautiful storyline is clearly a fabrication of right. the truth. Right. So, um, yes, the company is... Two years old. We've been in market. We just had our second birthday. We've hit over 100 million in revenue in you know less than two years, and it's growing much much faster. Um, <clears throat> did it happen overnight? Absolutely not. Right. We started working on it two years before we even launched. Right. And we're running tests for two years. Um, and so you know, like all companies, it is challenging. And there's probably been five times in the last two years where I went home and I said, you know, I don't, I don't really know if we figured it out. Right. But I, th I still think we have to figure out another insight to make this thing work. Cause I don't think we're there yet. And probably every 90 days or every 120 days, I have that conversation with myself and I have that conversation with my executive team. Right. And, and I think that's, I think that's the right thing to be talking about always. Um, because as the markets are changing and as you're bringing new products, you know, to customers, those dynamics are always shifting. Um, yeah. And so if you want to stay relevant and you want to continue to be a, a big company, what you did six months ago is not going to work for the next six months. Like, yeah. It is consistently evolving. And so, you know, it's it's um, a bit of, you know, when you realize that it's a bit exhausting, you go yeah. home and you're like, wow, you know, I thought I figured it out and it was just going to work for five, 10 years. And you realize that, man, I actually figured it out for the next 90 days. And then I'm going to go off and figure it out again. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, the world that we live in. And our team is excited about it and keeps fighting. And we've consistently been able to figure it out one step at a time. And the business is, is showing the, the results of that. Um, 
but yeah, there's, there's things that always don't work. And especially right. in our culture where we're testing a lot of different ideas, like we're bringing to market, you know, body acne issues and medications for melasma and sleep and yep. menopause and STDs. I mean, we're, we're really trying a lot to help people across the spectrum. There will always be things that don't work. And, and I think we just build that into the cultural and, and, and expectation. And how big, how many people work here now? We have, let's see, I think over 100 people in the San Francisco office. Okay. Um, we have, you know, 300 plus physicians right. that we work with across the platform. Um, and then we probably have 100 plus people distributed across the country. Um, for fulfillment and for, logistics. For fulfillment and, and customer care yeah. and um, technology. Like we have from the beginning being a very remote team. Yeah. Um, and that's just a philosophy that, that I've always had of let's try to hire the best people no matter, no, no matter where they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we have teams in Mexico, we have teams in Canada, we have teams in North Carolina. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And what do you want to do with this? What do you think hims and hers look like in five or seven years? How do you, I know you're thinking in 90 day chunks, which is very, <laughs> a very uh, common answer on the podcast. What do you want to build? Do you want to, obviously this would be appealing for pharma companies to buy. It, do you want to go that route at some point or do you want to go like, hey, we're going to beat them? Um, with, uh, beat beat is the wrong language. Hey, we want to compete with them. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the approach that Hims and Hers is taking, which is bringing together a brand people love a medical system that's easy and efficient and affordable and then a fulfillment system of those medicines that just like pulls costs out like it's so much cheaper i think that as a system is the new health system like i fundamentally believe that so i think five and ten years out what people know today as health systems will look like hims and hers right um, and what people know as pharmaceutical brands will look like hims and hers um, in some way or another. It's just a much better system. It cares for customers better. It makes it more affordable to them. It's easier for them. You can pick up your phone and get access to a specialist immediately. Like that's just, that's really special. So, so I think we're building, um, I think we're building the future. I think it's what it's going to look like. And I think we're pretty early on. I think we're in the first inning of it. Um, but, but I think we're going to keep charging towards that. And I wouldn't be surprised five and 10 years, um, out if, if the hymns and hers platform is, a brand that people know and love and a system that they trust with with all aspects of their health. And do you have, is there some piece of advice, maybe it's a piece of advice you've heard, maybe it's a piece of advice that you've come up with sort of in building this over the last few years um, for an entrepreneur that's getting started today on some sort of, whether it be a healthcare company or a DTC company, or even it could be a consumer tech company doing something else. Is there a piece of advice that you you look to when things are, you know, when you do have that 90 or 120 20 day session and you're thinking, ah, are we there? Is this working? Is there some piece of advice you lean on or some piece of advice you want to give to future entrepreneurs getting started on their thing? Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, one of the learnings that we talked about from Atomic that we have very core to our DNA at Hims and Hers is just this idea to, to test and yeah. to get to know your customer as early as humanly possible. And so if you have an idea for a business or if you raise money for a business or if you're thinking of raising money for a business, whatever it is, 
start talking to customers and not just your friends. Like don't ask your mom if they would, you know, if she would want to buy your idea because of sure, of course she's right. going to buy yeah. it's your, your product. Yeah. <clears throat> but people you don't know, talk to them and then, and then go as far as putting like credit card forms in front of them. Yep. Like, oh, you want to buy it? Great. It's twenty nine ninety nine. I can take your credit card with, you know, uh, an Apple pay mm-hmm. or a Stripe, you know, thing right now. And then see how that 100% of people who said they would want to buy drops down to two. Right. Right. And then learn about those two. Like, why did those two say yes? And they yeah. actually gave you their card. And why did the 98 say no? And that's really, I think, at the core of how you build great businesses is yeah. understanding that dynamic. Um, because at the end of the day, people are paying you for a, a value. And until you really, really understand the, the details of that value transaction, it's hard to build a business. And your conviction is much higher going in when you've tested things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you're you, like, I mean, as a founder, you're like committing to use your most valuable asset, which is your time yep. to work on something. Yeah. And the average duration, you know, you probably know this better than me, but as a, a venture investor, I don't know, maybe it's seven or 10 years from the day you write a check to the day that company succeeds, quote unquote, right. or has an exit of some sort. So you're, you're going to commit nearly a decade of your life and- it's probably the part of your life where you're healthiest and you have the most energy and, and you're, you're, you've got the most brain power, right? And you're going to use your best years on this idea. So you really, really should make sure you think the idea is going to work and right. you want to have as much data as possible to back that up. That is great advice. Three fun ones. What's something on your bucket list that you have not done? Oh, that's a great question. Um, my fiance is pushing me to do some type of trek in a very cold place for multiple weeks. Um, and so I don't know where that will be or when, but I have a feeling in the next year I'm going to have to do that. Any that any on your bucket list? Yeah, well, my, her bucket list is my bucket list. All right, list there you go. Point. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, I've, I've been able to do a lot of things I love. I think, you know, being able to take this company, frankly, and make it a household name right. in the next couple of years is something I'm very much looking forward to. And we've got a lot of plans to do that. And so um, that's definitely one of the big ones on my list. If I should have specified non-work related oh, non-work. bucket list. Yeah. Is um, there, whether it's a place you haven't been to, a, um, a physical accomplishment, um, um, I'm trying to think of fun ones that have been on the podcast before. <laughs> a lot of them are like a very specific place they want to travel. Oh, interesting. I don't know. You know, so I... Um, I care a lot about um, international refugee issues, right? This huge swarm of like hundreds of millions of people moving and being forced out due to war, conflict, water, whatever it might be. Um, And so on my bucket list for my life is, uh, you know, building a company or a foundation of sorts to be able to really understand how to be most helpful to those communities. And that probably means spending a year or two living in different communities around the world to understand that dynamic. Um, And so that's very much on my life bucket list um, that I probably won't be able to get to in the next couple of years, but hopefully, you know, shortly after. That's great media training answer. So good job all around. I want to help the world. Here's how. Uh, That's great. That's really wonderful. Sorry to make a joke of it. They, uh, (laughs) and if you could choose anyone in the world to represent hymns, who would it be and why? So you get someone hands you, says you get 30 seconds during the Super Bowl or during whatever, you know, outlet you decide. 100 million people are going to see this. Do you, who would you want to represent your brand? Well, we recently signed with J-Lo, oh. who, who represented the brand actually at 
the Super Bowl during the halftime show wearing the hers products. Um, and there you go. Them. Okay. So she was first she, answer where she, it, you've actually yeah, done it. Yeah, she did a great job. Um, uh, I, you know, I've been building a relationship with the team for McConaughey. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. Oh, that'd be great. He's a really funny dude. Yeah. Uh, I think he encapsulates a lot of the spirit of the Hymns brand. He would be perfect. Uh, yeah. So I've been chipping away at him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and last question, and then I will let you go. Um, if you weren't running hymns or working on uh, Atomic, what would you be doing? I would probably be spending my time um, working on either kind of philanthropic refugee issues or climate change issues. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting me do this. I really appreciate the yeah. time and best of luck on everything. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for listening, and uh, I sincerely appreciate your support of the show. Um, please share the show, uh, subscribe, rate if you haven't already. Um, follow me on Twitter at Billy underscore Draper. Um, and we've started to record video of some of our interviews, so I'll be releasing that in snippets. Uh, share it if you find it interesting. Thank you.